0: Well, we're going to continue our preaching series in the book of James. If you've got a Bible, do you want to get that out? And Steve Haynes, long-time member of Mosaic, is going to be preaching today. Let's give Steve a round of applause, shall we? Thank you so much. Thank you, L. Right, good morning, everyone. We're in James chapter 3, which L is going to read the verses to us, and they'll also come up on the screen. It was the one you were using, No. Thank you, El. Right. So James starts with a question. I'm going to get you warmed up with a few simple, simple questions. Hands up if you came by car this morning. Hands up. Keep your hands up if you've parked in the Rose Bowl. Good. Hands up if you watched. You can put your hand down now, Mark. Hands up if you watched um, the English lionesses thrash Sweden on Tuesday. Hand, keep your hands up if you're going to watch the final this afternoon. Great. <laughs> Some arguments there. Right, one last question. Hands up if you've had COVID. Keep your hands up if you've got it at the moment. <laughs> Now for the killer question. Hands up if you're wise and understanding. Mark, come up here. You can take over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So, l- uh, No, 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 no. no. <laughs> God. <laughs> he was going to. Here's my notes. <laughs> oh, dear me. Last week, Theo looked at the problem of the tongue it's a the tongue that can spark a forest fire james says that the tongue is a restless evil and why is it then that it's impossible to train the tongue to tame the words that spill out of our mouths and cause so much damage because it starts in the heart a salt water spring james says can only produce salty water or to quote jesus who was in fact james's half brother The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So what hope is there for us? Well, James now turns his attention to wisdom because it's the solution to the problem of the tongue. Instead of our tongues being set on fire by hell, which is a quote from, from James, they can be set alight by heaven with the true wisdom that comes from above. Because what we say comes from our hearts The answer then is to deal with our hearts. And we do that by seeking wisdom. Book of Proverbs says, get wisdom, get understanding. It's urgent, it's essential. We can't live without it. Wisdom is how you navigate life. It's how you make decisions. It's how you relate to others. It's how you strive for the goals that you've set in life. Wisdom is a lifestyle. And I've come to see that... uh, from just looking at this passage that everyone lives by some sort of wisdom. James tells us when you boil it, boil it down, there are actually just two types of wisdom, two paths to follow. Uh, James doesn't do shades of gray he it, it, throughout his letter he just turns the contrast up so that everything is black or white and Uh, The same with wisdom. The operating system for your life for my life is either godly wisdom or worldly wisdom. And as we look at the contrast between these two very different types of wisdom, we would would be mistaken to think of it in terms of us and them. We've got one lot of wisdoms, they've got a different sort of wisdom. In fact, as Christians, our default wisdom is godly, which is why you should have all put your hands up earlier. But we need to be alert to the times when we live by a very different sort of wisdom. And James will help us to do that. Now, because he's turned the contrast up, we'll see uh, from this passage, we will see very clearly three ways in which the world's wisdom is vastly different to the wisdom that comes from God. The contrast between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom is in their origins, in how they operate, and their outcomes that they produce. What's the purpose of wisdom? Well, why do we need it? Is it just to make good decisions in our lives? Is it just to plan the course of a successful life? Is it, is it to be able to give wis- advice to others? Actually, its most important function and purpose is to empower us to lead a good life that's pleasing to God, a life of good deeds and good relationships. That's what wisdom's for. So we look at the origins now. There's wisdom from above and wisdom from below. There's a wisdom that belongs to those who worship God. It comes from heaven, uh, literally from above. It's a gift from God. Earlier in James, he says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. Comes initially as part of the package that we get when we're united to Christ in our salvation. This, these verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise so that no human being can boast in the presence of God. And because of him, that's because of God, you are in Christ Jesus. That's your identity. You are in Christ Jesus who became to us the wisdom of God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. In other words, the moment you came to trust Jesus, there's a new governing principle in your life. If you're in Christ... Not only does he give you righteousness, sanctification, redemption, these are wonderful things which we don't have time to explore, but he gave you his wisdom as well. And it's not about intellect, it's not about intelligence, it's not about education, it's not about expertise. When you were born again, God's wisdom became part of your birthright. Knowledge comes from reason but wisdom comes from revelation it's a gift of god and we're citizens of heaven and we have the wisdom of heaven it's a gift upon our conversion and something that we need to keep cultivating keep growing in so there's a wisdom that governs most of the human race verse 15 says it doesn't come down from heaven Instead, it comes from below. I told you that James was very black and white. He describes it as earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. It's earthly. It arises out of the mind of the creature without any reference to the creator. It's it's self-proclaimed autonomy. It's unspiritual. The word actually means soulish, kind of psychological. It's where... Human feelings or human reason reigns supreme. It's, it's saying, follow your heart, um, or it's often valued as being authentic, in touch with your true self. And, w- and we see it in our generation, in the cult of the individual, in the toxic culture of self-love, in the, uh, that spins a false gospel of, because you're worth it. In a recent interview um, about her fourth album, Adele spoke very candidly about her marriage and divorce. She said, It just wasn't right for me anymore. I didn't want to to end up like a lot of other people I know. I wasn't miserable, miserable, but I would have been miserable if I hadn't put myself first. And then she says that she wrote her album for her son. I wanted to explain to him through the record... Who I am, and why I voluntarily chose to dismantle his entire life in the pursuit of my own happiness. That's sad, isn't it? James says this wisdom is demonic. In other words, it's not from above, but it's from below. There's an evil power at work in our world that's destroying lives and defying God. Let's look at how these two wisdoms operate. They've got different origins, but they also work in totally different ways. Worldly wisdom. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast or deny the truth. See, it starts with the heart. It comes from the heart. Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And this is a self-serving wisdom that comes from a heart that's in love with itself. Envy, it's the kind of jealousy that eats you up. It's a self-orientated desire to possess something that's not really yours. It's the horrible feeling you have when something goes well for someone else, <laughs> uh, when they get the credit or the limelight, the attention, the success, or the friends, or the, the relationships. It's born out of comparison, and it kills joy and peace. If you've got your Bible open, just take a little peek into the the verses that come next. Uh, There may be a chapter break, but it's actually not a new topic. It shows us that the same envy that we're talking about leads to quarrels and fights and violence. It shows us how strife in relationships comes from unmet and frustrated desires within our hearts. It's wanting something so badly that we fall out with others when we don't get it. But that's for next week, okay? Back to chapter three. Just take a moment, is there anyone that you're envious of? Anyone that uh, you resent? Any feelings of rivalry? Any unresolved anger or sense of injustice? that you just know that you, you need to deal with before God. Then there's selfish ambition. This is a word that, that's, when it's translated it, it, into selfish ambition, it was actually used in the, in the, the previous times to describe self-absorbed rivalry or, greed, rivalry or greedy politicians willing to do anything to get elected to office. Things haven't changed much, have they? Now, ambition, ambition itself is God-given, right? We're hardwired as human beings to reach for the thing that's of greatest value to us. It's what drives us. And if ambition is the pursuit of glory, and whereas it was designed to drive us to pursue the glory of God, we've turned it on its head and we've so often settled for something much less. In pursuing our own glory, we fall short of the glory of God, and th- which is the thing that we were created for and which satisfies the thirsty soul. And so that's when it becomes selfish, self-centered ambition. Someone's ambition tells you what makes them tick, what motivates them, what, what they're aspiring to or aiming for. Ambitions consume our time, our dreams, our attention, our resources. They shape us. And we all long for something. But when we exchange the glory of God for lesser treasures, we come unstuck. The pursuit of significance or wealth or whatever, or whatever it might be, there are a hundred things you could be pursuing. It actually shrinks our souls. It makes us curve in on ourselves. And it often is driven by a deep sense of need. But what we long for remains tantalizingly out of reach. Time for another pop icon. This is Madonna, age 31, giving a very revealing interview to Vogue magazine, having at that point already achieved more than any other female artist. She says, I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get into another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. And I find a way to get myself out of that again and again. The drive in my life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me, because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. Well, she's in her 60s, she's still recording, still performing, still touring, still reinventing herself, and I wonder if she's still trying to prove that she's somebody. Can we go back to slide nine, please? The previous slide. Then there's boasting and denial. If selfie and amb- self envy and selfish ambition are your drivers, James says, "Don't boast about it, and don't deny the truth. Don't flaunt it. Don't try to hide it. Be real, be honest. It, this can take many many different forms, but we have to be honest that this f- false wisdom springs from self-love and from an overinflated ego. Pastor and writer Tim Keller says, that the overinflated ego is empty and it's too small to fill the space that's meant for God. And it's hurting, it's always drawing attention to its neediness. It's never resting in trying to fi- fill that emptiness or numb the pain. It's incredibly busy doing two things, comparing and boasting. And finally, he says that the overinflated ego is in Im- imminent in da- danger of being deflated. It's like a bubble waiting to be burst. Um, That's from his book, Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, which is brilliant. I've got three copies here that I'll give away afterwards for anyone that asks for it. Got that? So that's worldly wisdom. How does godly wisdom operate? Well, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. And the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Again, it starts on the inside, but this time we find humility in the heart. And it works then from the inside out into a good life, full of good deeds and kindness. Humility was not a quality that was prized by the Greek or Roman culture. It was seen as a character flaw uh, that was unworthy of a strong or confident person. But we see in Jesus a man of true humility. Humility comes from a true estimation of ourselves in relationship to a glorious and majestic God. It's a dependence on him for everything in life. It's knowing that we can't chart the course of our lives alone. And then that translates into humility with others. It's accepting what God commands. It's accepting what he ordains in your life. It's seeking help from him. But it's not a passive intolerance of injustice, but a reliance on God to put things right. It's not having a low opinion of yourself, but rather not being preoccupied with yourself. Humility is not motivated by self-interest because it has confidence in God's goodness and that he's in control. As I said, Jesus describes himself as humble. He was dependent on God. He didn't seek the praise of men. He was able to take injury and insult without retaliation. And but this didn't com- conflict with his courage, with his concern for justice, with his confidence uh, in the ability of God his Father to come through for him. So, it's, humility is about not looking to others for a verdict on my life or my performance or my personality. It's not constantly looking inward to myself to be able to, but it's, a, but it's able to generate a genuine interest in others without the pressure for comparison. You know, when you, you're you feeling good because others are doing, you're doing better than others, or you're feeling bad because they're doing better than you, that sort of thing, that comparison, is nothing to do with humility. It's not looking out for number one. Uh, a few years ago, I was at the big New Wine Festival, and I big Christian festival. I joined the queue for a cup of coffee, a guy in front of me turned around and said hello, he introduced himself as John and we started chatting. He was deeply interested in me, and when I asked him about himself, he just spoke about his family. I I thought afterwards, what a nice guy. But it was only later that I discovered that he was John Coles, who for 13 years had been the head of New Wine, a major national movement. And all he wanted to do was find out about me. Tim Keller says that the truly humble person is not self-hating or self-loving, but self-forgetful. Wisdom shows in a good life and good deeds, it's a lifestyle that pleases God, is choosing to obey consistently day after day, what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. It's a life where actions match the words. It's not just good behavior, but an attractive life. It, and it's, first of all, pure. It's, it's from a heart that's fully devoted to God. It, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So this kind of wisdom keeps God at the center of your vision instead of self. It's living for an audience of one. But what comes out of it is totally relational. In the message version, it says, real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It's peace loving. Now, this is nothing to do with, you know, uh, just kind of let me have my peace and quiet. I'll do anything for a quiet life. That's not what peace loving means. It's being actively engaged in preserving peace where it exists it exists or promoting it where it doesn't it it's not winding people up or letting them wind you up it's not being quick tempered Proverbs says that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger it's it's being considerate and gentle, which is the next uh Phrase. It's being mindful of the feelings and needs of others. It's a willing to put others' f- willingness to put others first. Seeing the good in people and giving them the benefit of the doubt. This gentleness, this considerate uh, characteristic, is a quality of leadership. Paul says that ch- leaders in the church should not be violent, but they should be gentle, not quarrelsome, and it's. Jesus himself is described as meek or gentle. But his greatness was expressed through a gentle, generous, gracious disposition. It's not weakness. And James goes on to say it's submissive. Well, that can also be translated easily persuaded. It means being open to reason and discussion, willing to back down, ready to listen and learn. As an example, how do you react to criticism? Um, An ego that's in love with itself will either be offended or just brush it off and ignore it. But the wise person will listen and see it as an opportunity to learn. Proverbs 12 says that the way of the fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. So, yes, you should definitely stand firm on matters of conviction. But are you able to disagree without being disagreeable? And then finally, this wisdom is full of mercy and good fruit. No, it's not finally. There's more. But it is still full of mercy and good fruit. Yeah. <laughs> it's a God-like quality. Uh, we're merciful because we've received mercy. If you're wise, you know that. Like the Good Samaritan, it's a readiness to help anyone in need. It goes beyond just feeling pity. It leads to action, the good fruit, uh, to alleviate suffering, to help others, even strangers and even the undeserving. Proverbs 3 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. That verse has provoked me on so many occasions to do something rather than the easier option of just ignoring that opportunity to help. It's also about forgiveness, releasing people who are in your debt. It's treating others as God has treated you. It's, it's when somebody stumbles, you encourage them and help them get going again. It's not judging them. It's when someone offends you, forgiving them. And then this wisdom is impartial and sincere. It's unbiased, it's without prejudice, it's not showing favoritism or dishonoring those who are poor. It also means honesty, integrity, being trustworthy, open and transparent, not wearing a mask. It's practicing what we preach. In 2 Timothy, Paul says about the days that we're living in, the last days, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, without love, I've added for others, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Worldly wisdom is loving self, living for what makes you happy, whereas godly wisdom is loving God with all of your heart, and from that flows an unfeigned love for others. These aren't skills that are learned to simply win friends and influence people. It's from the heart. And it's if the natural wisdom of this world is living for number one, then godly wisdom is about living for an audience of one. Now, the outcomes of these two types of wisdom. Wisdom bears fruit. Paul says elsewhere that we all reap what we sow. And Isaiah says... Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. In other words, there's trouble coming for those who live by worldly wisdom. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. You'll find broken hearts and broken homes, broken laws, broken promises. What often starts as small Selfish choices become baked-in habits that form your character and lead to your destiny. We have sadly witnessed some of this in our own politics recently. A few weeks ago, our Prime Minister said in an interview that if you're saying you want me to undergo some sort of psychological transformation, I think our listeners would know that that is not going to happen. Flawed character undermines even the most gifted of personalities. And there's every evil practice. Now, James doesn't specify what they are, but his letter contains dozens of them, literally. Double-minded instability, the evil desires that entice you to, to, into sin, human anger, moral filth, the abis- ability to listen to God's word and then do nothing with it showing favoritism and discriminating against the poor, blaspheming God's name, breaking the Ten Commandments, faith without its corresponding actions, the untamed tongue, which is called a restless evil. And that's just the first three chapters. There's even worse in the rest of the letter. Uh, So these are the outcomes of worldly wisdom, but godly wisdom's outcomes are so different. It brings a blessing everywhere peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness a wise life brings peace or the old testament term shalom it's a kind of a goodness and a well-being around you it brings righteousness and justice the tangible kingdom of god wisdom should lead to a successful life where success is defined by as pleasing god and serving others it brings healthy relationships, family, neighbors, colleagues, in friendships and in marriage. In fact, these very verses were preached in the sermon when Marissa and I got married a, a few years ago. <laughs> Quite a few years ago. I've lost count. She hasn't. <laughs> um, so a life, a, a life of wisdom. Just imagine multiplying that by the number of people in this room. A community of people who are not living for themselves, but for God and for others. The impact that that can have. See, earthly wisdom sets people against each other and produces strife, whereas godly wisdom leads to harmony in relationships. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And this kind of wisdom is God's intended use for the tongue. James describes it as a rudder, that can turn a huge ship. When it's used rightly, the tongue can promote peace and righteousness. Proverbs tells us that the words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. With our tongues, we've got the power to encourage others, to, to worship God and to witness to his goodness. Your mouth can speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. It can call out for justice and goodness. On the 5th of July this year, there were 700 MPs, peers, civil servants, and so on, at the National Parliamentary Prayer Breakfast. Who knew there was such a thing? The preacher, the Reverend Les Isaac, spoke on the importance of integrity and humility in public life, reminding his audience of how Jesus had humbled himself. And at that breakfast was Sajid Javid, Who went straight back to his office to draft his resignation letter as a result of hearing the Word of God preached about integrity and humility? See, all of life, someone said, is sowing seed. Do you sow peace and righteousness and the goodness of God? Is there someone that you perhaps need to speak to to put things right, an apology to make, an email to send? Um, someone to challenge maybe your words can bring life i want to finish really though by not leaving you with a list of do's and don'ts i want us to come back to jesus jesus christ is our wisdom we heard earlier that in that 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 he has become wisdom for us which we receive when we become christians And in Colossians, this verse says that it's Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, when you hide something, you can hide it for different purposes. How many of you have played an Easter egg hunt? Hands up. Either as a child with children, for your children. Yes, okay. The whole idea of hiding those eggs is so that they can be found, yeah? With squeals of delight. <laughs> the treasures of wisdom that are hidden in Christ are so that we can seek them and find them. They're not, in, you know, they're not impenetrable. It's, it's there for us to take. And in Matthew 11... Jesus talks about himself in a way that he does nowhere else. It's the only time that he reveals what's actually in his heart. He says, I'm gentle and humble in heart. And he invites us to lay down the heavy burden of trying to make it on our own, to prove ourselves, comparing and competing until we're exhausted by it. We can come to the one who hides in his heart the treasures of wisdom, gentleness, and humility. And we can learn from him. If you want wisdom, learn from the wisest. How do we do it? Well, just some practical things to go away with. Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That doesn't mean being afraid of God, frightened of him. It means Joyful trembling in awe of his goodness and greatness, his majesty, his mercy, his amazing love towards us. is to love him with your whole being. It's living for an audience of one. Secondly, soak yourself in the word of God. It's what James calls the word that's planted within us. Psalm 19 says that the decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple, Whatever your starting point, the word of God can help you become wise. Third, prayer. Near the start of his letter, James says, if any one of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Fourth, repentance. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded, in James 4. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Humble yourselves before the Lord. As we turn to God, he will humble our proud hearts and tame our fiery tongues. And then finally, make small decisions to choose the path of wisdom each day. That's how character is built over a lifetime. So which will rule your life? Wisdom of earth or the wisdom of heaven? Living for number one or living for the audience of one? Let's stand, shall we, and pray and worship together. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you that you have given yourself to us not only as the model of wisdom to imitate but the very source of wisdom. Lord, we want to confess the ways that we've acted with the wrong kind of wisdom, pursuing our own goals, putting ourselves first, thinking of number one. But we just humbly come to you now, Lord, and ask you for the wisdom that comes as a gift from above that you give generously without finding fault. Help each one of us, Lord, to tune our hearts to the heart the heart of jesus that's gentle and humble that makes peace in relationships that is honest and pure trustworthy lord i just pray that lord in our hearts you will create something that spills out into our friendships our relationships our workplaces our communities multiplied over and over again lord For each of us, I pray that there will be opportunities to live our lives wisely uh, in front of a watching world. Help us, Lord Jesus. Amen.